Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson, and today we're talking about church planting in church-saturated areas. It's a concern that often comes up when church planting efforts and movements are discussed. Sometimes it's expressed as a complaint. Don't these areas already have enough churches? Well, do they? So we're going to talk about it. I've got with me here in the beautiful Spurgeon Library recording studio one of my best friends, David McLemore. David is one of the leaders of the church planting team of Refuge Church in Franklin, Tennessee, pastored by Dustin Neely. David has been a part of three church plants in the Nashville area, including my own over 10 years ago, and he's a staff writer at Gospel Center Discipleship and a regular contributor to For the Church. He's also a strong thinker and a guy who loves Jesus and Jesus's church. Dave, thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jared. All right, uh, I want to get straight into it. Um, aren't there enough churches in places like the Bible Belt, in particular in suburban areas of the Bible Belt? <laughs> Too many churches, maybe? Yeah. Well, I, the short answer is no. Okay. There's not. I mean, I think until everyone in every community is part of a gospel family, there aren't enough churches. I, I think we would all agree with that at some level. Um, and I think one thing that motivates this question is the idea that a few big churches can meet the needs of every Christian in the community. But, I mean, we don't even assume that about coffee shops. So right. why would we assume <laughs> that about, about churches? Um, and then I think maybe a, another motivation behind the question is um, we look at the world and we see the need beyond the Bible Belt. And we think, well, we've got enough churches here, so shouldn't we be going to unchurched areas of right. the U.S. or other parts of the world? Um, and yeah, the answer is yes, we should. Uh, but that doesn't mean that we don't need more churches locally where, where there already are a lot of them. And, you know, I can't speak for every area of, of the country, but I know in my own particular part of the country, in, in Nashville, Middle Tennessee area, I mean, we're growing by 100 people per day. Oh, wow. Um, at least that's what it was about a year ago. And I mean, it doesn't seem to be slowing down to me. It's just exploding. And so, I mean, that's new people moving to town. That's babies being born from those new people and everybody else living there. And most of those people live in the suburbs. I mean, there's not a lot of housing in the city of Nashville itself. And so we even see these massive companies, for example, Nissan moved their North American headquarters to a suburb of Nashville. So we've got these massive companies out there as well. Everyone's moving to the suburbs. And so we have plenty of people. And I just think, where are those people going to go to church? Right. Um, you look at just those stats and we need a mega church per week just to keep up with the population, <laughs> which is crazy to think about. Um, and so when, when we talk about church planting at, at our church, at Refuge Church, I mean, what we hope to see down the road is we'd love to see a gospel-centered church within 20 minutes of driving distance of, of everyone um, because we believe in that, that, that local, relational, life-on-life -life church works best. Um, we can actually know and be known. You know, you think of the early church in Acts 2. They, Luke shows us what the, the church looked like. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread and the prayers. I mean, that is, that's more than, it's deeper than what I think we see in, in a lot of the churches that we have um, around us. And the result of that is just this Holy Spirit awe. And when I look at, the, at, at my part of the world, I don't see enough awe of Jesus. Mm. And I want to see more of that. And so, um, all at that, that, that personal local level where people are, are known and they're not afraid of being known and they actually know other people and where the, the gospel can be brought to bear on, on the real lives that they're actually living, not the, the lives that they think they should be living or the lives that they project. 
um, things like that. And and then, you know, I think there's also plenty of data that just shows the need for more churches. Tim Keller's done a lot of work on this. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's plenty of research out there. You can go look at it. But I, I remember Keller pointing out two things that the, the numerical growth of the body of Christ in any city um, is dependent upon new church, new congregations being started. And it also kind of spurs this continual renewal of existing churches in a city. I mean, it, it's really important. Um, and the, the, the research bears that out. And then also, I think that maybe the idea of the Bible Belt really isn't all that true anymore. Yeah. Let's talk about that because yeah. it's changing so much. And when I've had fellows on the podcast like a Dean and Sarah or, mm-hmm. um, you know, guys who are doing gospel-centered missional ministry in what we would call the Bible Belt in, in areas that are historically, at least culturally Christian, it's changing and things have changed. And so I tend to ask them, you know, what's different today in, you know, Tallahassee, Florida compared to 10 years ago? And a lot has changed. The makeup has changed. The cities are more multicultural. Um, and so it's, it's even the, the cultural Christianity or the nominalism seems to be kind of eroding. Yeah. Um, so why don't you talk about that? Like, how is that? How is Nashville different than yeah. it was? I, I mean, I think I, I agree with that, too. I mean, I even see, you know, we've got so many people moving to town um, and a lot of those people aren't moving up from the south. They're, they're moving from all different parts of, of the world, really, but mm-hmm. a lot of different parts of the country, too. And so I was actually talking to a friend recently um, who is discovering Christianity. He's, he's God is opening his heart and um, he grew up in a part of the country where he just he never heard the gospel. He had this you know, caricature of a, of a Christian in mind, but that's it. He, he didn't really understand what we actually believe. And, you know, so to just assume that everyone who lives in, in the South in a city like Nashville has been churched right. is just a wrong assumption now. Mm. I mean, there's a lot of people, he's not alone in that. And so to, um, to, to have this idea of the Bible Belt, I think is, I mean, on one level it's true because there are a lot of church buildings, but that doesn't mean that we have a vibrant church in those places. I see. So what would be some valid concerns, right? So we just talked about um, that these areas are not saturated the way that we think that they are. Um, and yet, you know, you drive around these these places and, and, you know, there's churches almost every block. It feels like, I mean, it's not, you know, literally true, but it feels that way. Mega churches even on every corner, there's some corners you know, intersections in Nashville where it seems like on, on all yeah. four corners, there's a megachurch. Yeah. So it, it, at least the sensation of the saturation is, is real. Um, what would be some valid concerns? I mean, what are some things that people, you know, have hesitations about that you would say would actually be wise to have a hesitation at least yeah. about? Yeah, I mean, I think maybe the first thing is if we start new congregations, is that not going to hinder the ministry of good growing churches? Is that not going to draw people away from those? Uh, even if they are megachurch and, and vibrant and alive and doing a lot of good, um, I mean, that's something that, you know, you want to be aware of. I don't think it's a reason not to do a new work, um, but I think that's that's one of the things that we run into. We, don't we have enough churches? Don't we have enough good churches? And yeah, we have some good churches, but we could always use more. Mm. Um, and then I think, too, it's just like this this idea of church planting is is, I think, popular, but it doesn't mean it's easy. It's yeah. really hard to do it. And so— um, if you're going to set out to plant a church, it's possible that you could spend so much attention and time on the growth of this organization rather than the spiritual growth of, of the people that you've got coming. And so you've got to be careful and, and 
just making sure that you're planting for the right reasons. Um, I think one of the things that you see when you've got a city that's got a lot of churches and churches on every corner like that is you'll see a lot of new congregations pop up, and some of those congregations pop up in response to a bad experience at one of those other churches. Mm. So that idea of planting out of not to be like them right? Um, rather than out of this kind of positive movement of God. And so we have to be careful, you know, not to do that. And I think that that is a valid concern because I, I've seen that. And I know, you know, I was talking to a, a friend the other day and he was talking about his parents growing up in the church and, you know, they, they split off and started a new congregation. And, you know, he was really frustrated because it was like, the church really turned me off to God because of the way they interacted. And, you know, they just started a new one because they got upset with the the, the people of their old church. And, I mean, that happens all the time. So, yeah. I mean, that's a valid concern, I think. Um, and and then I think, you know, unless we're, you know, caught up in the Protestant Reformation or something, we shouldn't <laughs> we shouldn't be planting in, in, pro, in a protest kind of attitude. I see. We should be moving out and, and I don't know, the fullness of God wanting to, to see kingdom expansion. And I think if you do that, I think there's a way a lot of churches in the city can work together for the good and you reach different types of people and, and things like that. Um, but I, I think that people do have lots of valid concerns, but it, it kind of gets back to, I don't think we can have enough churches. I see. Okay. Um, you've been a part of three church plants in the Nashville area. What's a commonality in terms of challenges, what are the biggest challenges of planting in what we might call church saturated environment? Yeah, I, you know, when I, when I think think about that question, I mean, that's a there there are a ton of challenges. But I think if I kind of step back and look at what what I've seen um, over the last decade or so, and I know this to be true not only from who I've seen come into our churches, but just in conversations that I have with people who are unchurched, there's just a ton of spiritual weariness and, and injury um, in, in the life of Christians. And so one of the challenges is, you know, I, I think the Bible Belt can wound people um, on, on this kind of massive scale. And it takes a long time to recover. And, you know, we think about who Jesus is. I mean, Jesus is the one who said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Um, and, and so it's a sad reality that people are burned out, that they're wounded, that they're hurt, that they're just weary of the Christian life. And um, so I think one of the things that, that, that we've always done in, both at, in, when I was at Emmanuel and what we, what we do now at Refuge is, we try to get to know those kinds of people who come in and, and see really what their church baggage is because all of us are bringing something. And oftentimes we'll just advise them, just be here and just rest. And resting is a really hard thing for yeah. a lot of people to do, to just rest in Christ. And so one of the challenges is just um, kind of hitting that reset button and letting Jesus just come alive again in your heart. Um, and, you know, we've also seen just this a lot of injury where church members are unkind to one another, and, and that just follows with them. They bring that in, and so there can be mistrust because of past experience or, or something to that level. And, um, you know, I remember when we were at Emmanuel, we kind of saw one of the ways that God was asking us to care for our people was to be a, a hospital for the religiously wounded. Mm. There's just a lot of that in Nashville, yeah. and, and we've seen that at, at Refuge as well. And so, I, you know, so what's the challenge in that? Well, I think it, what it does is it points to this overall problem in the church that the language we use is it's a lack of gospel culture. 
Um, and that's something that I picked up from Ray Orland at, at Emmanuel, and we planted a refuge with that same kind of DNA. So the, the, the concept is this gospel doctrine creates a gospel culture. The, the doctrine of grace should actually create a culture of grace. Right. Yeah, imagine that. <laughs> imagine that. It's, it's amazing. It's like God knew what he was going to do, right? Um, but it, the sad reality is many people don't experience that because gospel yeah. doctrine, you know, you can, you can feel good that you're preaching the Bible, um, but in, in one sense, that's easier to grasp onto, right? Because you've got it there before you. But living that out and that culture of grace, how we relate to one another, I mean, how far we'll let grace go into the lives of one another is a hard thing for us to do. Um, it's a hard thing for us to grasp because we're just selfish people. And so what we, what we constantly do is we're always inserting ourselves into that center where Jesus alone belongs. Yeah. And when we do that, we just go off the rails and we just rip the one another's from the Bible as if they don't even matter, but they really matter to God. Mm. And um, so, so what we what we must be doing is we must just let the the gospel doctrine of God's grace just go as far deep into ourselves, our hearts, as possible, and extend that as far as possible into others. And you know that that isn't easy to do. And I think a lot of churches struggle to do that. And so what we see a, a lot of times is well, we we like their theology, but it just felt like such an unloving environment. And um, you know, I don't. I don't think that's necessarily a southern thing. I think that probably exists everywhere. But that's yeah. a, that's a challenge in every church, and certainly in every church plan. I mean, pride isn't a, just a, the southerners don't have the, the, right. the corner on pride for sure. Um, but we just have to be willing to just unself ourselves, yeah, and and to let others um, um, actually get to know us and to be known by others and and experience that culture of grace. So I, I think that's one challenge that we're always struggling with. Um, but then you, you think about beyond that. I mean, and that, I mean that is such a, a deep thing that we're always working on. We're always reevaluating that. I mean, that's the thing that you can't forget. You know, we're in, once a year we're going to evaluate how we're doing, and this is a moment by moment thing. But beyond that, I think one of the things we often see too is, um, and we've seen this everywhere, and this is so common in the South is church hopping or church shopping. Yeah, um, where we just kind of treat the church like a big box store. You know, so if, if you don't have the right kind of services, it's hard to get people. And it's bad news for church plants because we don't have a whole lot of resources. We can't offer a whole lot. Um, but I think if, if you're a church plant in, in that kind of environment where you see a lot of that, one of the things that you do have, one of the advantages you have is you have the ability to actually let people serve in ways that maybe they didn't, they won't get a chance at other, other places. And we've seen that. We've yeah. seen people experience this, you know, just kind of, um, burst of life as they get to serve Jesus in a way that they never even imagined possible. And yeah. so church plants, I think, can be um, one of those great places for uh, uh, it's just a great garden for seedling Christians to grow. Yeah. You know, one of the things that it reminds me, it's a, it's a challenge on the other end. And, and you and I talked about this a little bit yesterday. And um, it's something that we experienced somewhat at, at the church where I serve, um, Liberty Baptist, where you're a smaller, becoming medium-sized church, and you're growing, and you may attract a particular kind of um, person looking for a church that's smaller, right? I was in the mega church and you know burnt out. I didn't know anybody, or whatever it is. You know, they have a bad taste in their mouth from the big box store or what have you. So they come to you because you're kind of the boutique right. type deal. And I remember, um, you know, you you hear people say things like because you're small or what have you. And always in the back of my mind is, well, what happens if we get big? 
because the church is growing and by God's grace will continue to grow. So what's the number? At what point do you decide, now we're not the church for you because you're uncomfortable? So I, I just think the consumerism mindset is there no matter the size. You know, it's not limited to the large church experience or right. to the quote-unquote attractional experience and um, what have you. And we'll talk about that in just um, a bit as well. But I want to go back to um, the pride issue and the gospel doctrine not creating a gospel culture, like when that happens. And I think it's connected to something that you touched on previously, because I've thought about this a lot. Like, why is it that churches who, by all respects, have good theology or solid theology, um, why do they end up, or some of them end up, in such restrictive cultures, or in some cases even toxic cultures where people are attracted perhaps to the theology, but then end up getting burnt or um, shamed or, or what have you. And I think it goes back to, it's it's somehow connected to what you were mentioning about churches that are driven by what they're against, they're protesting or what have you. And I think you it's possible for a church to pride themselves on their doctrine or their Bible teaching, especially like in the sense of contrast to those around them. Like we're the church that got it right, which is borderline cult, you know, cultish. I think of churches in my past that, that I've known, not necessarily that I was a part of, that had these cultures there, but were known for like, we're the only one that got the Reformation. You know, it's like we've, we received the baton from Martin Luther himself. Sort of thing, <laughs> right. That sort of thing. And they pride themselves on we're Calvinist or we, they pride themselves on not being attractional. Like, we, you know, we don't do the fog and lasers here and that sort of thing, which is fine. But when that becomes your identity, what you're not, I think it doesn't open itself or lend itself to a gracious culture. Um, is there anything to that? You think there's a connection there? Yeah, I, I certainly do. I mean, I think when when everyone is measured by this doctrinal scorecard, I mean, <laughs> if you step outside of that at any point, what's the answer? I mean, is it it feels like condemnation, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, when we when we limit people and, and don't give them that environment to grow and change and just rethink their lives, because, I mean, to be honest, if, if we were to sit here all day and just open our Bible together and read through it, at some point we're going to encounter something that is different than what we've previously thought. Mm. We're going to have to rethink our lives in light of that verse right there. <laughs> now, if, if, if we don't create the environment in which it's okay to do that, we're going to hold to what we, what we feel comfortable with, and we're going to exclude others who don't think that way. Mm. That's, just how we, that's just how we are. Yeah. And I think we see that not only in the church. I mean, we see that politically. We see that all kinds of ways in, in our culture. Um, so, yeah, I think you're on, on to something there for sure. All right, let's take a moment for a coffee break and hear from our friends at Midwestern Seminary. Midwestern Seminary's Doctor of Ministry degree program is your next step in training for local ministry. The Doctor of Ministry program at Midwestern Seminary is designed to equip and train leaders with a commitment to the local church. With multiple emphases available, including counseling, church revitalization, expository preaching, leadership, and missions, among others, Your program provides the equipping you need in practical theology for direct church work and ministry leadership. And because all of our doctoral programs are modular, you don't have to leave your current ministry to pursue your degree. For more information, visit mbts.edu today. That's mbts.edu. Okay, we're back. We're speaking with David McLemore about church planting in church-saturated areas, perhaps quote-unquote church-saturated areas. Maybe that's up for debate. 
Um, all right, so let's sort of circle back on something that we briefly mentioned, um, which are related to the challenges in um, church saturated areas, and it, it takes me back <laughs> to um, my experience planting. You were part of that. Um, that church, that experiment, <laughs> that project, <laughs> whatever you want to call that. Yeah. Uh, it was about 2007 uh, or so, 2008 perhaps. And what I remember um, distinctly in terms of the challenge was feeling like we were being measured constantly by those who visited. So people encounter us on our website or they're searching for a particular kind of church. And at that time, I sense that there's something, you know, that a lot has changed, and maybe you can speak to that in a moment. Um, but at that time, there weren't a lot of people doing, as far as I knew, doing what we were trying to do, right, to do this gospel-centered missional um, thing. Um, there's good Bible teaching at, you know, other mm -hmm. churches, large churches especially. Um, there are good churches in the city. There's no, there's no doubt about that. But the kind of thing we were trying to do, it felt new. It really was on the cusp of, um, you know, the, the radical reformation and all that sort of thing. Um, and so we thought, man, we, we really have something new and fresh and awesome going on gospel center, biblical exposition, all of that. And then people would show up and we don't have the water slide down to the children's ministry <laughs> and, right. and all that sort of thing. That. And you can almost see the, in their faces, um, just this sense of, oh no, what do we get ourselves into? Um, that we were, um, small and, and, uh, didn't have a lot of bells and whistles. And immediately there's just this sense of trying to compete mm -hmm. for market share yeah. um, for young families, especially, um, which, uh, you know, is, is sort of the, the prime demographic, I think. So I, I don't think it's always wrong to think in terms of who you're trying to reach, right? I mean, you, you can, you know, categorize it or, or, you know, characterize it grossly in terms of your customer and, not, and that sort of thing. But churches in particular areas... They want to know who's in their area, how do we reach those people, that sort of thing. Is there still a sense of competition? I'm, my sense is that it's changed, but, you know, if it has, explain how it has. But if it hasn't, you know, maybe speak to it, um, that there's a sense of competition and that you don't tend to cooperate with other churches. I don't mean you specifically, sure. but um, it's sometimes it's a challenge because th those are the people who are going after the same people you're going after. How do you work against that? and facilitate a kingdom-mindedness among churches? And that's such an important Or in question. your own church. Yeah. How do you facilitate a kingdom-mindedness in your own church so that you don't see other churches as, right. ah, they're the competition? Yeah, yeah, it's such an important question. I think what, what we experienced, you know, over a decade ago is um, not that different than, than what we experience today. I, we still feel, you know, as we're going to celebrate our, our second-year anniversary here in a couple of weeks of, of Refuge, and so... You know, we've had uh, kind of waves of people come in and out. And for a lot of those that go out, one of the reasons they go out is because we don't have the children's programs. We don't have the youth group that they, they want for the kids. We don't have right. certain things that, that they're really looking for in, in the church. Um, and so, you know, there's always this pull in our hearts like, oh, man, <clears throat> well, maybe we just need to get that. Maybe we need to, <laughs> to, to reach for that and, and we'll get the people. But, of course. You know, I, it's funny. I get asked the what, what's the plan for for refuge sometimes, and I think, well, the plan is to be the church. You know, I mean, we, we're, I don't want to overcomplicate this in any way. I, I want to I want to be faithful to Jesus. I want to disciple 
and you preach the gospel and go out in mission. And so, you know, I, I'm, I'm reminded of this conversation I had, and this was a few years ago, but there are these two big churches that, that literally they're side by side on this one main road. And um, they even share a parking lot, but that's as far as they'll go in sharing resources. They don't partner together in <laughs> okay. any other way. Right. At least that it, you know that experience that may have changed over the years. But there are these big churches with all these resources, and the, the, it's the furthest they'll go is a share of parking lot yeah. because they're really trying to reach the same demographics and right. things like that. And I'm not trying to speak to their heart or their intentions or the motives. I don't know them, um, but it is interesting that you don't see more of that interaction and that let's move together for the, for the glory of God, right. right? And so I think that there is some of that kind of consumerist, um, comp- competitive mindset among them. And so what we do at Refuge, I and mean, we, we, we talk about this a lot. I mean, we're an Acts 29 church, so we're connected to the Acts 29 church planting network. Um, you know, we're affiliated with the SBC. So we try to partner with, with other organizations and other ministries that want to see the, the kingdom advance. And you know, what we did even in our membership documents when Someone wants to become a member of Refuge. We, you know, we have a whole document. Here's who we are. It's got all the, the things a normal um, you know, a membership document would have. But one of the things that we have in kind of our, our, our mission is we want to be about multiplication. Now, that's multiplication internally. You know, we mm-hmm. want to make disciples and things like that. Um, but also externally, we want to plant as many churches as possible. And so what we did kind of on the front end was say, you know, this is, this is a work of God that he's doing in our hearts with us in this particular Area, but we want to see more of that, and you know we, we can't do that alone. We don't want to do that alone, and we don't want to just hold on to what we can hold on to, or try to grab what we can grab just for the sake of grabbing. We actually want to share and 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 try to hold everything with an open hand. And I think having that on the front end helps. You know that at least brings up the conversation with anybody who's like, well, what if we have a you know a a great pastor that goes out and plants? What are we going to do? Let's, let's send them. Let's bless them. You know, let's let's, <laughs> right. let's not hoard. Let's let's share. Mm. Let's expand the kingdom. And trying to always bring it back down to you know what we're what we're trying to do is get more and more people to love Jesus. Yeah. And whatever that takes in terms of sharing and sending out and and um you know even when we have people who leave the church you know it's always painful like <laughs> this yeah. idea that you could leave the church and it's not going to hurt the pastor. It's just false. I mean, it's going to hurt at some right. level. Um, but what we have to tell ourselves is, you know, if they're not leaving Jesus, it's okay. Right. <laughs> you that's know, right. Th- th- they'll be fine. He's going to take care of them. He's going to shepherd them. That's what he does. Um, but but it is hard. I mean, that, that, that competitive sense is there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, you know, a couple of things for me <laughs> help, help me turn the corner. One positive, one somewhat, I don't know, negative. One is just understanding that if Christ Church is growing, that's a win, right? And and that should be a win for me. That I would be more interested in Christ's glory than my own. And very often, the glory of Christ means, um, you know, taking some hits myself. And that has to be not just okay, but preferable. If Christ is glorified, or if my loss, or um, you know, whatever my state, if that's what glorifies Christ, that's what I prefer right. rather than for my glory to be magnified in a bigger church or what have you and Christ's glory, um, you know, not to take precedent. So I think kind of turning that corner was um, a turning point for me, uh, but also just in the sense of folks who may come in looking for what we might classify as a consumeristic experience. I got to the point where, where I thought, why do I want to keep consumeristic minded 
people. I mean, you know, you want people to grow. I, I, I want them and we can change them, you know, that kind of thing. But I thought, you know, I, if, you know, if, if those who are sort of bent in a consumeristic way go find another church in the long run, that's probably healthier for my church. I'd rather have, you know, a small, medium size, uh, you know, church of, you know, gospel minded people than a mega church full of consumeristic people. And that's a, that's a stereotype, but um, yeah, I think just having that mentality helped me that sometimes your church is not for everyone. Right. And in the long run, it could be a, a good thing, an okay thing, um, you know, to lose um, certain people. Um, now, there's some folks who will come, and I think this is related to the question we started off with, or the at least the second question, a valid concern about a church going into a church-saturated area, and people shift to that church, right? They move from another church to that church. Now, we know that there's some level of church transfer that's happening all the time. Um, there's good, bad, and different reasons for that. Um, you know, sometimes people leave a church because it's not preaching the Bible, or sometimes they're leaving a church, you know, because they moved or whatever it is. Um, in these areas, you you do experience where people, for life stage reasons, um, or um, boredom, or whatever it is, decide we're going to go to another church. How do you mitigate against what we might call unnecessary? I guess we'll call it that unnecessary church transfers, right? A family shows up in your church and you get to another story and they are at a good church. You know, it's a good church with a good pastor teaching well. Um, and there doesn't seem to be any reason that they left other than you're new and here they come. What do you do about that? Yeah, I think one of the things that church planters need to be good at is knowing how to pastor people who don't know what they want in a church. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, it's a, it's a hard thing to do, but it takes that sitting down and, and hearing their story. And one of the things that, that we've done, you know, we may not be able to do this as we if if we just blow up, it might be hard to do this. But we're we're small enough now to where a new person, new family comes in, we meet with them, we take them to lunch, just yeah. welcome them to the church, hear their story, things like that. That gives them the opportunity to hear about us, and for us to hear about them. And you know, a church plan isn't for everybody. Um, it, it, it is hard and, and there are different, there are differences between us and a, and a bigger church. So yeah. we try to mitigate that by getting to know them and help, and giving counsel where we can, because I mean, you know, we believe that if, if the, if the Lord wants refuge to grow, he's going to grow and he's yeah. going to bring the people. He's going to, he's going to make them fall in love with, with our body for, for some reason. And so we're not just trying to grab anybody that we can just to have a, a number. We really want to see people flourish. And, you know, sometimes people are looking for a church just because they got mad last week or something. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't happen a lot, um, but it can. And then some people are, are, are you know, they, they've they served at a church for over a decade and, and you know, they, they find, I, I can't be here anymore. It's not healthy. Yeah. And, you know, we, we grieve that and we talk about that and try to counsel and try to figure out what is really the reason you're leaving. And, you know, I mean, th I think that helps bringing them in, knowing you know, are these people coming to us and they just need to rest and not do much yeah. for a while? Um, but at the end of the day, there, there's, you know, people are going to do what people are going to do. Um, but you just want to be aware as, as best you can of where people are um, spiritually, because that's what that's what pastoral ministry is. Right. Yeah. Shepherding people to Jesus. We want to make it as easy as possible for people to love Jesus. And if that means coming to our church or going to another that's fine with us as long as they can go love and serve Jesus there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you know finding out their story and 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 what have you is important. It's 
one of the differences I noticed when I was pastoring in, in Vermont, because it's not a church-saturated area, um, there's more of a rapport between churches, even between denominations. Um, if you're evangelical and you're in the area, like, you know everybody because there's not a lot of churches and there's not a, there's not a lot of Christians. And so you tend to stay in contact. So when a family would show up and you find out, you know, right away that they've been attending or they're even, you know, they're members of this church in the next town over or what have you. And um, one of the first things I would do was, you know, call the other pastor and just see, is there some discipline issue? Is there what have you? And a lot, you know, most times, um, you know, they were released. There's no problem. There's no issue there. You know, the reason they were coming is because they actually live closer to us or whatever it is. But I wanted to kind of work against this idea of um, because our church was growing um, that we're poaching people, right? So, and that's a you know that's one of the concerns that churches, established churches, have in in saturated you know, church saturated areas. When a church plant shows up, or a new church comes to town, or a really large church plants a campus, you know, across the street from you, um, that you're you know you're pirating. These, these are church pirates, and they're coming to steal your people and that sort of thing. Or they're a vacuum sucking up all the all, all your people. I think one way you mitigate against that is to actually um, have a rapport with the churches around you. One of the first things I did, and I would recommend it, if you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking about planting in an area that has churches already established and what have you, one of the things that we did as our church in, in Middletown Springs in Vermont was preparing to plant a church in Rutland. I met with the pastors in that area, especially of the churches that were closest to where we wanted to go. And there wasn't anyone quite, there was one church that was um, closest to where we were wanting to go, which is in downtown Rutland. But I wanted to meet with the pastors, tell them what we're doing, why we're coming, and explain to them, like, we're not here to try to take your people or anything like that. I mean, I didn't put it that way, but if that was a concern of theirs, I wanted them to know, look, we don't think we're bringing the gospel for the first time. You're you're here doing it. We're glad that you're here. We want to come alongside you. We want to join the mission. Um, because there's more lost people here than any one church um, can reach. So that's what we want to do. And, you know, I just want to be as above board as possible. And that's, I think, one way to kind of mitigate, this, not necessarily people leaving one church to come to yours or what have you, but it also, I think, creates that rapport, kind of works against that spirit of competition, let people know that you're coming, what you're doing, that you're for them, that you're not, you know, trying to to think you're the new, fresh, hot thing that's, um, you know, this area hasn't seen the gospel until you got there. And some churches plants, you know, sadly advertise themselves that way, right? You know, this area needs the gospel and we're bringing it. Well, there's four other churches that have been faithfully preaching for, you know, 20 some years. Doesn't mean you can't go, but maybe don't act like you're God's gift to that community. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> but hey, we want to join the mission. There's yeah. enough mission here to go around and we want to come alongside you. I think that's one way to kind of mitigate against um, some of these concerns that we might have. Um, what are some hopes that you have for the future of church planting in in the South in particular? Yeah, I, I think about this a lot. Um, and, you know, my even my church experience, I've, I've just been involved in church plants. And I, I don't know why the Lord chose me to do that, but, but I have. <laughs> so I think about what what I would love to see is this church, this church planting movement in the South. Um and so I, I keep coming back to a few things. I mean, one, multicultural congregations. I mean, to be yeah. honest, we're just we're just too segregated. Um, and there are far more people, people far more qualified to speak on this than, than me. But to be honest, our, our church is just too white. 
Um, it's too segregated. Our, our, you know, I'm speaking for my church here when I say we're, we're too white. We're, our neighborhoods are too white. Um, I, I want to taste that, that multicultural um, glory of heaven right now. Mm. I, I want to get in on that now. Um, and so I would love to see more of that. And, and you just think about the history of the South and, and all of that. If, what if the church became, in, in God's grace, this multicultural explosion of joy? And wouldn't that, wouldn't that speak to the, the, the kind of redeemer that Jesus is? And then I also think, you know, we talked about it earlier, but gospel doctrine that creates a, a gospel culture, um, that's a big deal to me. I, I, I want to see more of that um, take hold of, of, of churches in the South. You know, when, we were at, when I was at Emmanuel, one, one question, and they still ask this question, um, but one question we always asked was, who doesn't need gospel plus safety plus time? <laughs> you know, who doesn't need lots of gospel at every yeah. level? Who doesn't need the, the, a safe environment to rethink their entire life? And who doesn't need time to, to grow and change and discover? Because none of us changes quickly. Yeah. And um, what we need is reality with God. And that happens as we create the space for, 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 for people just to rethink their lives in, in light of the Bible. And then, so that leads to something, which is confession of sin. I think we need just this massive outpouring of God's grace that leads to confession. Mm. Um, we hold, we hold our, we take ourselves too seriously, and our pride just holds everything in. And what you know, it, it sounds crazy, but what I'd love to see is is people in churches just openly confessing their sin, mm. not in any kind of shaming way, but in a way, in in, in a, a response to what Jesus has done. Um, to where, you know, when we have that consumeristic mentality, we're confessing that, um, that, that we're asking the Lord on a continual basis, what do we need to repent of, Lord? Help us see ourselves. Um, th- th- I think if we do that, we, what, we'll, what we'll start to experience, I think, it, and all that's dependent on what God wants to do. But that sounds like revival, doesn't it? I mean, it sounds like <laughs> yeah. God pouring out his blessing on, on our churches. And um, what if... Church planting in the South became not just like this strategy to, 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 to reach these certain people over here, but it became just this, we got to do something because God's doing something. Just this <laughs> outpouring of his blessing that we're just responding to. We're caught up into that. And, you know, really, I, that's what I long for. And, yeah. you know, a lot of that, I mean, that's what Ray Ortland longs for. And yeah. I think you're channeling with, him right now, yeah, actually. Spending all that time <laughs> with Ray. I mean, I just, I just caught that. Yeah. I mean, it, that, mm. that, um, Heaven breaking open and God pouring his grace and we just falling down before him, confessing, repenting, worshiping him. Um, I, I, I guess I just want to see this unleashed joy in Christ uh-huh. among our churches. I, I don't think we have enough of that. I don't think that by and large, if you walk into any church in the South, you're going to think, man, they're just too joyful. <laughs> <laughs> they need to tone it down a bit. Yeah. Mm. We just need more of that. Yeah, he's he's the best. He's he's the savior of the world. There's no one better. So why why are we not happier in him? Yeah, ah, oh, that's wonderful, and a good note for us to end on. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, thanks for having me, Jared. We've been hanging out here with David McLemore, one of the leaders at Refuge Church in Franklin, Tennessee, a staff writer at Gospel Centered Discipleship. David also writes regularly for our site, For the Church. Visit ftc.co, and you can search for him in the author index. And as always, if you like this podcast, share it with your friends, review us on iTunes. Every little bit helps. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. 
You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, Managing Editor of For the Church, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.